are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Our focus this month in our series in this month, and it'll kind of spill into next month as well, is really on personal evangelism, how God can use our life to help other people find Jesus Christ. And that really is our objective. It's not to tell people uh, just the doctrine of Jesus Christ so that they think that you're smart. It's so that ultimately, hopefully, they can find a personal walk with Jesus Christ. They can find a personal relationship with Jesus Christ themselves. And I think that that's uh, important for us to understand that in our walk with God, that if if the, the salvation we experienced is as good as we sing about, then it's as good as we can talk about. Amen? It's something we can sing about and we can acknowledge and we can read about. It's something that we should share with others. And so we're talking about contagious Christianity, and we're using a resource called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleburg. And the premise, as I mentioned last week, is this. Because people matter to God, all people should matter to us. Because all people matter to God, all people should matter to us. People have value. Jesus said, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And so we realize that people are valuable to God. People turning their hearts to God is what heaven is waiting on. And so because God cares about people, what should our response be? And that is to let people know about Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to just sit idly by and and enjoy our salvation, but his goal is that you and I would be a part of what he's trying to do on the earth. Again, it's so amazing that Jesus Christ would ascend into heaven. Jesus Christ could have stayed here on the earth, but he put into his disciples, he, he transferred into our hands the, the ministry of reconciliation, helping people connect to Jesus Christ. And so we considered a mathematical formula to help us better understand our responsibility and opportunity to helping lost people find Jesus Christ. It's a formula that's found its root in Scripture, and uh, it is HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. All right. Does anybody recall what that means? Anybody got a HP? High potency plus CP. Close proximity plus CC. Clear communication equals what? <laughs> Maximum impact. Well done. Give yourselves a hand. You did well. Little golf cow. Well done. All right. But our goal is to have the greatest spiritual influence and impact we can while we're living. And this is God's purpose expressed through Scripture. Before Jesus ascended, he said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so we're called, our 
Our goal as Christians is to have maximum spiritual influence, and we're called to have maximum impact. And this formula really flowed out of two passages. You're not going to find that formula in the Bible per se, but we, we grab that from uh, two elements that Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. Matthew 5.13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your, what, good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the principle here, the two elements here are salt and light. And the, the principle that we find in salt is that in order to have the greatest possible impact, salt must be potent. He said, if it's lost its flavor, it's no good. So it has to be potent. And second, it has to be in proximity to have an effect. It, you, can, you can salt the table if you want, but it's not going to impact the food. It's got to be in proximity to the food, right? Amen. Had a little salt incident on Sunday, and I was just let, just thought of that as I was saying that. Thank you, Sister Reed. All right. So I'll, I'll tell that. Actually, I'm going to tell that story next week. So come back next week. I'll tell you a salt story. So inside of the salt metaphor, we find two important elements, potency and proximity. And as Christians, we are called to be salt. And our effectiveness like salt is dependent on our high potency and our close proximity. And then the metaphor of light, Jesus was saying that we have to be visible and we have to make the gospel visible. And it is helping people come to know Jesus Christ when we use clear communication, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but for sake of time, I'll keep moving. Last week, we considered the first element of the equation, and that was high potency. How can we be sure that we're being effective as Christians? How can our lives really be meaningful to others? And we discussed the attractiveness of authenticity, the attractiveness of authenticity. That substance is more important than image. Substance is more important than image. Before we can become highly contagious Christians, we must first live in a way that convinces people that we are Christians. And so we start by making certain that the way we are living backs up the way that we are speaking. And I remind us that God doesn't need any more pretenders in the earth. There's enough pretenders in the world, in every facet of life, but God needs us to be authentic. And so what does it mean, and, and how did we present it to be authentic? How is it that we can be authentic? We had four things. I'm just going to read them quickly. The first was just be you. The second was be real on the inside. The third way was to be forthright about failure, and the, or the fourth, that was the third way. The, the fourth way was to live like you mean it. Just be you, be real on the inside, be forthright about failure, and live like you mean it. So what's the big deal about authenticity? 
Why be authentic? I would submit tonight that authenticity is what allows us to feel compassion. Authenticity allows us to feel compassion. Compassion is sympathy or empathy that moves us to action. Sympathy is having a shared feeling. You may have sympathy with somebody because you went through a similar circumstance. And so you have a shared feeling. Empathy is that you maybe have an understood feeling, but not shared. You might not have went through what they went through, but you have empathy towards them. It's a feeling, so to speak, that is sympathetic towards what they've gone through or what they're going through. Compassion is the shared or understood feelings. But compassion has a motivation that causes us to do something with the feeling that we have. And I want to say right here that compassion is absolutely important and necessary in our walk with God. I'm not going to dive into... The, the, the life of Jesus Christ, but you can read the life of Jesus Christ and you will see that he had compassion. He didn't just have sympathy. He didn't just have a shared feeling, but he had compassion, something that moved him to action. And I dare say that our salvation was what moved him to action. He, in a sense, felt sorry for us. And he loved humanity so much that he had compassion, so much so that he would endure the cross. And so what makes us potent or attractive as a Christian in our world? It's our ability to be compassionate and to put that feeling into an actionable experience. John said it this way, by this, or Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have Love one for another. I can track back significant open doors and connections with people in our community in the last year to one singular compassionate action. I've got about five or six stories of significant connections in our community in the past year by one compassionate action. Our church was given over $200,000 worth of clothing from Dillard's. So on February 4th of 2019, a group of people from the Calvary Church went down to the Dillard's on the west side of Cincinnati, spent about eight hours or so putting clothes in boxes and loading them on a 27-foot truck to give to a local charity. And this act of compassion ended up helping not just that one charity, but it got spread out to several charities. And our community opened its doors and it began to allow conversations to happen in the community that are still happening because of it. And since that time, I've watched door after door open in ways that I I absolutely believe will see people find Jesus Christ because of 
one act of compassion by a body of believers. And in my opinion, it's only the beginning, I pray, of opportunities in which we can show compassion. This act of kindness by our church was potent. It was helpful. It filled a need. It was attractive. And I know we want and I want to do our best to make our services attractive for people hungry for God. I want the best kids programs, youth programs, music programs, guest services, you name it. I want our church to be attractive for people when they walk in. However, many times the people who are attracted by our service are people who have a church background or even specifically a Pentecostal background. And we certainly want them to experience the power and presence of God when they walk in our services. But what I also know is that the type of Christianity that gets people's attention is not just a service, a church service that you hold. It's not just some program that you've developed that attracts people to what's going on. But what really gets the attention of people is when there's compassion that comes out of a life. I, I hope that we're catching the vision. The last couple Friends Days, we've elevated our eyes to not just what's going on here, but what's going on around our community. Why, why are we doing that? Because people will pay attention when you show authentic love and compassion to those around you. Many times our church services are, are somewhat insulated. We love it. We experience the power of God, and people do receive the, the Holy Spirit. They are healed. They're touched by the power of God. But I'm telling you that that cannot be the limit of our experience and our walk with God or even attractiveness in our Christianity. I'm glad that we're online. I'm glad that we're reaching into more homes than ever before. But I feel compelled to help us and preach to us that our real sense of compassion is not just going to be realized here. It's going to be realized when we're reaching outside of the four walls of this church. That's where Christianity becomes contagious. And so this is important for us, and I want to give you three realities of compassion Three, three realities of compassion. The first is the reality of compassion is that compassion cannot be given. I cannot give you compassion. I can't create compassion in you. I can tell you a sad story. I can tell you a moving story. I can tell you a compelling story and an inspiring story. And you may tear up. You may sympathize for the moment. You may be moved emotionally. But compassion is a feeling that moves us to action. Compassion is sympathy that leads to mercy. I can't create that in you. 
A preacher is not going to create that in you. It's not going to be manufactured or handed out. Compassion is something that doesn't just require a story. But I submit the second reality of compassion is that it is born out of perspective. Compassion is born out of perspective. If my compassion says, I worked hard for this, therefore I deserve this, then I have a hard time feeling compassion for those who don't have what I have or are in a difficult circumstance because of their real or perceived actions. So easy to feel like I've earned this. This is mine. I deserve this. And when we approach life with that feeling... Even though we may sympathize with somebody's story and we may empathize with somebody's story, I would argue that it's very hard to have compassion that moves us to mercy when we think that we deserve what we have. But if I realize and I keep in front of me that what I have, I didn't deserve and I needed help to get it, I am able to feel compassion for those who may be walking through a difficult place in their life and it moves me to mercy because I understand what I needed to get to where I am. Jesus shows us this when Peter asked him a question. How much mercy is actually necessary, Jesus? I love Peter. He always just makes me feel better about myself. Because he, he asked these questions that you know he's getting blasted for. But Jesus then tells him, he, he's like, ah, should I forgive seven times? How many times should I forgive? Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seven times 70. Then he tells him a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So this ruler wanted to settle. He, he wanted to kind of make things right. He had given some things away, some money away, and he's waiting for the return, and he wants to set things straight. And when he had begun to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you can read all kinds of stuff on what 10,000 talents are. Depending on your math, it could be between a million dollars or it could be, I've read, as high as $7 billion. So, but for simplicity of math, let's say it's a million dollars. So this servant owes him a million dollars and says, and the king is saying, I want it back. That as he was not able to pay, his master commanded him that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. He's going to get his payment. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Again, you see, compassion moves us to mercy. But then that servant who was forgiven a million dollars went out and he saw one of his other servants who owed him, the Bible says, a hundred denarii. Now, again, we can try to figure this out, but most think it's about one six hundredth of uh, what was owed to the other or what was owed to the king. 
So one six hundredth of a million dollars, I think I'm right, Matt, is $1,667. So compare the million dollars to the $1,667. He goes to that man and says, pay me what you owe me. And so his fellow servant begged him, fell at his feet, have patience with me, I will pay all. And he would not, but threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Of course, that's not right. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus knew that. He's telling this story because it's not going to make sense to them. They know that's not right. And so his fellow servants saw what was done. They were grieved and came and they told the master. Then his master, after he called him, said, he's a wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Why would you not have compassion on someone if you've been forgiven so much? Jesus is saying that doesn't even make sense because compassion flows from perspective. Somehow this servant forgot because logically there's no explanation. He forgot that he had been forgiven. He had forgot how much money he had actually been forgiven. And Jesus said, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if you, if, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Pretty difficult saying there. But Jesus is saying it's ridiculous that this man was shown so much compassion and mercy and couldn't show compassion and mercy in return. He was blind to the authentic perspective of mercy shown to him. And our ability to be authentic is taken to the next level when we become aware of God's work of mercy and kindness in our life. When we understand how far Christ came, how much he forgave us, it should motivate us to participate in God's work on the earth because the reality is true compassion produces mercy. True compassion produces mercy. The important spiritual nature of compassion is echoed through Scripture. And for sake of time, I'll hurry through this. In the Old Testament, God says, I'd encourage you to read it, Deuteronomy chapter 15, 7 through 11. I'm going to read 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Jesus told, or God told that to his people right from the beginning. But in the New Testament, Jesus brought it a little closer. And he said, the king will answer, assuredly, I say to you, Insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. What was, the lead, what was it that they did? Feed the hungry, the thirsty. Give food and clothing to the stranger. He's saying when you do it to them, you do it to me. Because true compassion produces mercy. And compassion is born out of our perspective of how much mercy God has given us in our 
life. Mark Middleberg said, when action-oriented compassion is absent, it's a telltale sign that something's spiritually amiss. I'm saying that to all of us. There are seasons when compassion is lower than others. And when that happens, when you sense that lack of compassion for people, I would find an altar as fast as I could. Because you've lost perspective of what Christ did for you on the cross. And I've lost perspective of what Christ did for me on the cross. What attracts us to Jesus Christ? Isn't it his mercy? Isn't it his willingness to forgive us our sins? Isn't it his willingness to love us in spite of our wrongdoings? Isn't it his willingness to suffer with us a long time until we get it? Mercy is what attracts us to Jesus Christ. And mercy and compassion in action is what makes you say, makes what you say you believe believable. Mercy, when you show people mercy, when you show people the love of compassion that flows out of compassion, it's what makes what you say you believe believable. It is salt. It is potent. Nothing makes me more upset in my house than one of those girls decide they don't want to share. But it's not just that they don't want to share. It's the fact that I just got done making somebody share with them. And then they're not going to share with somebody else. That infuriates me. Thank you for listening. But compassion is born out of what you know of yourself and how far you've come. That's why worship serves to keep our perspective right. Worship, when we worship, whether it's in here and we're reading songs and poems about how good God is or how forgiving God is or how righteous he is, it's all meant to align our perspective to understand how loving a God is that we serve. And hopefully, when we understand how far God came, it moves us to compassion. Our final biblical illustration tonight comes from Luke chapter 10. Many of you probably are familiar with this, but let me walk through it a little bit for just a second. Luke chapter 10, verse 29. A lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus answered a certain man, and he tells a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who, who took off his clothes, wounded him, and left him for dead. Verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, a religious person, somebody who kind of had their act together, came down that road, and when he saw the man that was laying on the other side, he kind of just moved over to the other side. Likewise, likewise being by chance, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came to that man laying on the side of the road, he looked, but he passed on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Being authentic in our own life allows us to have compassion that produces mercy. And I say this tonight because we read about a man who was a Samaritan, a man who would have been distant from the Jews and distant from the culture, so to speak. The two guys who passed before him were a priest and a Levite. Both of them would have been honored. They came from a good family. They came from a religious family, a pious family. They kind of knew the ropes. But what we realize is that this Samaritan came to this scene and his ability to have mercy came from a compassion that he felt for the man laying in the road. And so when we look at this story, I want to point out tonight these three realities of compassion. That number one, compassion can't be given. As religious, you would think that the priest who knew Deuteronomy 15, that knew about what God's word said about the poor and the the needy and the fatherless and the hopeless, but you you can't give compassion. It's born out of perspective. And so this religious and well-versed couple of guys, a priest and a Levite, did not produce compassion, and therefore, they didn't have the capacity to show mercy. Curiosity does not move us to mercy. And we need to understand the difference between curiosity and compassion. There are some things we look into out of curiosity. There are some things that we do in our life out of curiosity, But what God is calling us to, I believe, as the Calvary Church is to be more than curious about what's going on in our world, but to actually be compassionate about what's going on in our world. And and so this idea, this idea of being compassionate was not on the minds of the priest and the Levite because their perspective was what? They were born righteous. They came through the right family. They were on that road, the Bible says, by chance. They weren't really on the road on purpose. They were just there by chance trying to get through. And they had a perspective of themselves that said, we're all right. And I've always been all right. But that Samaritan was humble. He knew he was just a Samaritan. He could have easily been in the same condition he knew. And so the Bible says that he journeyed on the road. That road, if you study it, Jericho Road was notorious for criminals on that road. And I kind of think that he knew, he knew that there were going to be some people on that road that might need some help. And so he specifically and intentionally journeyed on that road because of what he knew about himself. And so he realized he could have easily been the one laying there. So the Bible says that out of that compassion, out of that compassion for this man on the road, says when he saw him, 
he had compassion, so he went to him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It wasn't sympathy. It wasn't empathy. It was compassion that moved him to mercy. And so on the next day, he made sure that he was taken care of. And Jesus said this, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And Jesus said, or that the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And I submit tonight that we are called to show mercy. One of the greatest things you can do as a Christian is to show mercy. A mercy that flows out of compassion. A mercy that flows out of your own awareness of your shortcomings. Your awareness of your weaknesses. Your awareness of what you could have been without the love of Jesus Christ. No one exemplifies this more in our church than the amazing Mickey Gardner. And do you all agree with that? I want Mickey to come, and I'm going to embarrass her. She is a treasure to our church. She works tirelessly and endlessly. You can come. She works for our church in incredible ways, many times behind the scenes. She is the secretary for the Calvary Academy, but I can assure you that she does much, much more than serve the Calvary Academy. Her work for God is incredible, and she serves this church in incalculable ways. And I... When I think about these types of stories, and I think about people of compassion, I think of people like her. No one loves people more than she does. And while we are called to be like her, we're not called to be her. And so I'm not suggesting tonight that all of us suddenly become Mickey Gardner, although the church would be a better place. But there are some things that I want us to understand about her love for people and her story. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to ask her a few questions. We're going to have a little bit of a dialogue. She's nervous. That's all right. That's what I do every week. Just stand up here and be nervous. So I want to first talk about what she does, some things that she's involved in. So talk a little bit about what are some organizations that you're involved in with throughout the year, and uh, that is really born of, of compassion for others. Um, well, the uh, Serve City and uh, <clears throat> Soul Ministry are the main ministries, of course, TCA, um, but, and Serve City, for those that may not know, is serving the homeless and the hopeless, um, food, encouragement, assistance. And we're heading into our sixth year doing that. And, yeah. Um, it, and I just want to say that it had been in my heart for a long time, but I was really nervous to try to, to do it. Um, but it was 
you spoke in, it must have been late fall of 2014, the message go. And I was sitting right back there, and I just, the whole time, it was like, I just came to you, and I said, I I feel like I've got to do something. We we went, and we did a pilot and kind of watched, and then that January of 2015 we started and um but honestly and I really mean this that I don't feel like it's any great thing it's just really a reasonable service and um there's no way that I could do any of it without all these people here because there's I think almost everybody here has been to serve city group so it is really a team it's not one person. I mean, I plan the meals and pray for food, but you guys, we all do the work. Um, There's always the most spiritual praise for the food. We know. Yes. And uh, yeah. uh, that was you have to. That was Growth University last year. So yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. You have to find um, and then Soul Ministry, which is uh, I don't know. It's just a wonderful thing in the community, and there's a lot of other areas. I think of what Matt does with the Hope's Closet, and I mean, there's just so many others here. It's very humbling to be up here yeah. because there's a lot of you out there that do a lot of things. Yes. So, talk a little bit about uh, and and for those who aren't aware, she Soul Ministry is a, a Springdale organization that serves those families in need and different ones with food and much more than that. Yeah, uh, it's a local pantry yeah. in our area for Green Hills, Forest Park, and Springdale. But you also spent some time going to prisons, uh, helping in those areas as well. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been quite a few years, but it was probably over... Um, <clears throat> probably about 15 years juvenile the 2020 and then and then the jail ministry um with Joe Pasley who heads that up and then there were there were quite a few other people that went doing that bill went the abstinence I mean mm-hmm. there was a whole group of people that um we would go so that kind of <laughs> compassion for people that willingness to take time energy money all of that where is that where is that born in you? What motivates you to love people? Um, probably, well, the love and grace and kindness of God and his people in my life. But uh, I guess just to, for a little bit of understanding, I, I grew up in a family that we weren't poor, but it became poor because of drugs and alcohol. And um, as children, my brother and I suffered severe neglect and... I was always so painfully aware of how different we we lived from other people. And when my parents divorced, my mom just couldn't take care of us. So uh, in elementary grade, we went into a Catholic orphanage, and we were there until high school. And um, But honestly, those were the stablest years of our lives, um, our childhood. And... Um, but I guess it wasn't enough stability to heal all of the instability that for the previous years. Because in my freshman year, I began abusing alcohol and drugs very heavily. And I was swept into that whole lifestyle. And 
I don't need to elaborate elaborate on that, but um, you know, after several years, just found myself a single mom, just struggling to live. And but I guess what I really want to focus on out of that is the deliverance and healing and purpose in life that I found in God and God's family. Yeah. Um, it's really been so amazing, even to this day. Um, I actually, I found when I came in the church over at the old building, it was like a spiritual nursery. There were actually a whole group of us that came in that were, I don't even know how it all happened, but we were all drogies out on the street and we just, one of it, one came in and brought us in one by one. And it was like a spiritual nursery. And, um, we had, I received, during those early years, I received everything in my life that I did not receive as a child in the natural. I, I just received so much, and um, I just can't even quantify it. I just know that I have received so much, and I feel like I want to give back. Yeah. And uh, I want others to know that they're cared for, and just maybe it'll ignite a seed of faith in their yeah, heart. Or water something that's already there, but it'll give them hope anyways. Amen. Amen. Would you appreciate Thank you. Thank you. And I am so thankful for her story. And that story that really points us to the power of real compassion in our life. That comes from perspective of how far God brings us and that God can use our life. God can take our brokenness and our frailness and our weakness and he can make something incredible out of it. And I thank God for the mercy that each one of you have found in this room. A mercy of God that's resident in this place. And the question that I end with tonight is who in your life do you think needs mercy? You know, we understand the question of who needs Jesus. We know, but is there somebody in your life who needs mercy? I say mercy, not just for you to forgive them. They need a mercy. What is mercy? Giving something you didn't deserve. Giving hope when you didn't deserve hope giving kindness when you did nothing to deserve the kindness, giving a way of escape, giving something that helps people realize there's a mercy that you found and you in turn want to give it to them. Jesus warned us not to give so we could receive. And that's really what mercy is, isn't it? Somebody did you wrong. That's why Peter asked the question. Jesus, come on, how many times do I have to forgive? How many times do I have to show mercy? Because they don't deserve it. They, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And basically what he was saying wasn't giving us a number. He was giving us the idea, it's countless, that we just keep showing mercy. 
Just keep showing people kindness. We're not expecting anything in return. And I thank God again for Mickey's story because I know at Serve City, Serve City, she's not doing that so she can get something in return. She's just offering mercy to people who have done nothing for her and she's expecting nothing in return. Would you stand with me tonight? I want us to pray. I feel compelled to pray. I had an app question, but I feel the presence of the Lord. And I want us to pray in this moment because we are called. If we can grab a hold of this, we'll be people of mercy outside of this room. And I'm telling you, that'll be more powerful or as powerful as anything that happens in this room. God, I pray right now for our hearts. I pray for my heart, Lord. I need help, Lord, in this area. I need Help, Lord, to be more compassionate. I need help, Lord, to show more mercy. But I understand, Lord, it comes that as I see you for who you are and see you for what you've done for me, I pray, God, tonight that there would be something that grabs a hold of us, something that captures our attention, that captures our hearts, Lord, that moves us beyond just curiosity. It moves us beyond sympathy. It moves us beyond prayer emojis, Lord. It moves us beyond likes on Facebook and moves us into a mode of mercy, moves us into the actual lives of people to make a difference where we're carrying around every day bandages. We're carrying around every day oil, the anointing oil. We're carrying around, God, things that we can use to help people. We're carrying around the knowledge of the gospel. We're carrying around, God, the opportunity and willingness to teach somebody a Bible study because, Lord, we want to show mercy. Oh, God, I pray today, I pray tonight, Lord, that something would grab our attention, something would grab our hearts in a fresh way, God, we thank you tonight. We end tonight with a pure thanksgiving for your kindness and mercy in our lives. Lord, we did not deserve your mercy. We did not deserve what you did on the cross, Lord, but you did it anyway. And Lord, we're thankful for tonight. Lord, we thank you. We lift up our eyes to your work on the cross. We lift up our eyes to your work among us, Lord, and we thank you for your kindness in the name of Jesus. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.